rip the bandaid off. Um, hello, welcome to Judgment Day, the film podcast that pits the films you're passionate about against Terminator 2. I'm your host, Michael Carroll. My guest is your uncle Casey, and our subject today is Terminator 2. What? Um, you damn right it is, Michael. <laughs> Uh, Casey, nice to have you on the show. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Thank you for having me on. This is fun. I'm looking forward to it. Casey, you you host a a YouTube show called T for Two. Do you want to introduce the show a little bit? Yeah, uh, T for Two, the Terminator 2 show. It's uh, the way that I like to describe it, although I don't think I've actually said this on the show yet. I always Mm -hmm. meant for this to be like my little tagline on the show, but I think of it as an exploration investigation and celebration of all things Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which <laughs> which so, sometimes uh, people tend to, I've had people ask me a lot, well, I kind of prefer the first movie. Do you not talk about that one at all? And of course you have to talk about the first Terminator film. I, I think to me, it's funnier the idea that the show, it's, a, it's an episodic program that talks about nothing but Terminator 2 Judgment Day. I just think that that's funnier and, yeah, and uh, and I think that that tends to get people's attention more. But of course, there are occasions where we talk about the original film as well. But there is just so much, such an explosion of the, the the Terminator 2 phenomenon that happened in the early 90s. So much merchandise and video games and books and uh, so much stuff to talk about with Terminator 2. There's just not as much meat on the bone for the first film. So of course, this show covers. I want to cover about everything that I can about the first film too. But it's just yeah. Not, it, it's not the focus. Yeah. Um, so th- this is going to be a real shop talk kind of day. So strap in everybody. I know when I came up with the premise for, for Judgment Day, it turns out there was a lot of uh, podcasts that Judgment Day was something that like, if you look into like iTunes, it's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff there. So I, that's why I added uh, T2 versus cinema. I do wonder, do you have anyone who just uh, thinks that they're um, tuning in for a show about T? I, I haven't had that yet. If they have, they tuned out and didn't leave a comment. <laughs> yeah. So we talked, so you talked about it a little bit, but Terminator 2, it, it is, it is an interesting film. Uh, obviously we're going to, we're going to be talking about this whole episode. We're going to be talking about just some various dimensions to the film and we'll get into that in a little bit, but you know, it does stand out from the first one because it was working off of that DNA, but it, the way the first film worked was it started as a slasher film and then it got bigger in scope into a science fiction film. The second one just takes that science fiction thing and just like, you know, hits the gas on it. When I'm fixating on Terminator 2, that's one of the things I think about. Where does your, what's your relationship to Terminator 2? Let's start with that, actually. I, I remember when I first saw the, the, when I first saw Terminator 2, I had, I think I had seen bits and pieces of the first film, it was so damn scary that I just, it, mm. it wasn't quite for me. I, I kind of remember in thinking some of it, like it seemed kind of cool, but I never, I don't think I ever sat down and watched the whole thing. When Terminator 2 came out, my parents rented it uh, for when uh, they went out to eat, they got a babysitter and that was the night's entertainment was Terminator <laughs> 2 Judgment Day for my second grade self and my mm-hmm. kindergarten younger brother. And and uh, anyway, I'm rambling a bit. The point is, uh, it, it just blew my mind because you know, as anybody who was alive at the time knows, there just wasn't anything like that. And it was such a combination of things because it, it wasn't, uh, you know, there were action movies before that, but, but not, I don't know of any action movies that had that much action. 
but had that much heart to go along with it. That was the thing that, that, that was one of the things that really opened my eyes on that that night when I watched that for the first time, because it was the first time I think that I realized that movies were more than just mindless visual entertainment to just sit down and look at to kill an hour and a half. It was the first movie that made me cry at the end. And I hadn't been moved by a movie like that before. You know, maybe it was just because I hadn't yet seen Old Yeller or anything, but yeah. but I just hadn't seen a movie yet that that moved me like that. And it just, it had such a big impact on me. All that coupled with the music, Brad Fidel's score is so, it's so good in so many ways that would, you know, require another show on, on its own, but. Yeah. You um, have a great episode where you, where you get to interview him. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. That was kind of a, that was kind of a, a happy, lucky happenstance thing. But one of the many ways that the movie impacted my life was that the, that score, because I think because that score is so heavy and so intense and I enjoyed it so much for that, I think that's a big reason why I'm so into heavy metal today. Oh, okay. Because I eventually got drawn to more and more heavy music. And I think that's part of it. My favorite movie had really heavy, exciting music. And it wasn't the, it's not so much the anger of heavy metal, but just kind of the thrill of it. Yeah, it's so funny because it's, uh, you know, we both have uh, had uh, people do adaptations of this for our programs. And so I know when I was talking to the guy who does the music for my show, Johnny Ampersand, you know, we, we talked about it at length. And one of the things I kind of realized uh, thinking about Brad Fidel's score a lot is it's like it's, got, it's full of adrenaline and it's very sad. Yeah. You know, like, like it has, and that's actually like a lot of the movie right there, you know, like, like um, it, it's able to like hold both of those things at the same time. And, and actually the theme song I use now uh, is I think the third or fourth version that uh, Johnny had done for me because I kept asking him to like, not make it sad because I'm trying to make a happy show. Now your, your, yours is, I think, going more in the heavy metal direction there, right? Or how, how was it, can I ask you how you got your score for your show? Oh, uh, that's by a, a gentleman named Shred Guy. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he's a, a really talented, heavy, heavy metal guitarist who uh, has a YouTube channel and he does covers of anything from, you know, Star Wars and Terminator to video games and, and he'll do those music and or those pieces of music and just really, really heavy metal and just shred the hell out of them. And yeah. I, I, I spent days on YouTube listening to different uh, heavy covers of the Terminator and Terminator 2 themes. And his, I just... I, I just loved it the most because not only is it heavy as hell, but the soloing and all the lead stuff is so high and bright that it it's not just really, you know, low and dense and heavy. And anyway, so it kind of has the best of two worlds. And point is, I, I just reached out to him and I said, hey, I'm absolutely in love with this. I'm going to be doing this Terminator show. Is there any way I could please borrow this for my theme song? And, you know, and he said, of course. And so I, I always have uh, his credit listed on there because I, 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 I I guess uh, a little bit of a tangent, but there's nothing I hate more on the internet than people sharing artwork or music without giving credit to who created yeah. it. So uh, no, that's great. Actually, I, I do want to jump. I do want to go more into T for two in a little bit, but but let's uh, let's just go back a second. Uh, if this isn't, if I'm not prying too much, you talked about crying. It being the first one that like kind of like got you to like, you know, really like 
have a big emotional response to a film. What what were the what were the triggers? I'm I'm curious. Well, uh, like what I think is for I mean the. Today, when I watch it, there are more things throughout the movie that can move yeah, yeah. me emotionally, just because as a mature adult, there's more stuff that I can relate to. And, but as a kid, it was, it was the, the boy losing the closest thing he had had to a father at the end of the film. Uh, throughout the movie, you know, you just, you grow to admire and appreciate the Terminator more and more. And, you know, eventually toward the end, when I remember as a kid, uh, when you're seeing him just getting beaten down by the T-1000 in the steel mill, just relentlessly beating him and with with that that massive iron pry bar and then shoving it through him and my jaw was hanging open I, I just couldn't believe we were seeing this hero just being utterly destroyed like that and so you start you feel for him so much and then he finally you know he comes back and then he's got to go again and for yeah. good this time and it just yeah that that's what did it for me I, I showed uh, my wife hadn't seen it when um, we, 10 years ago, she hadn't seen it. Uh, and I had the pleasure of showing it to her for the first time. And, uh, you know, um, it's it's fun being able to like introduce this movie to other people for this show. Um, it's sad that I don't get to like have that experience with them uh, in person because, you know, it's uh, um, just, uh, you know, like I said, your adrenaline gets going. You know, I, this is going nowhere. <laughs> I have nowhere to go with that. <laughs> um, uh, it seems like it's easy for people to ramble about this movie because this movie, there, there's so much to it. It brings up so many different kinds of emotions. And I, I've had a lot of conversations with other people too, where I or they will just kind of get rambling off about something because it just, it just stirs up so much. Yeah. Uh, let's jump into T for two. If, if uh, we can, um, what goes into producing a YouTube program? I, I do a podcast. It's easy. Oh, well, I think a lot more goes into it than probably needs to from my end because I'm just, I'm such a, I'm, I'm kind of, anytime that I, I do any kind of creative project, I, I, I'm, I'm overly picky about it because I, I don't know, to me, it, 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 it's a reflection on my ability to do whatever that creative project is. And I, I just feel like it has to be about as perfect as it can because otherwise people are going to be as analytical about it as I am and see the flaws in it, which means those are flaws in me. And I know that none of that's going to happen. I know that. Yeah. They'll, they'll just, they'll just to, not, they'll just not remember that they did it and like not, not click on the next episode. You know? Well, and you know, it, it's not even so much to me. It, it's, I guess what I'm specifically referring to are the, the tiny, tiny little things that most people could, would never possibly notice. Um, you know, if I, uh, if I'm if I'm filming an episode and then I have to stop for a little bit and then I resume, then later when I cut that all together and you can see that, uh, you know, my hair is slightly different or, you know, one of my earrings is like rotated slightly differently. To me, that's just a, it's just <laughs> such a, an unprofessional just disgrace. And I know no one, no one is ever going to see that. They're never going to notice it. But for some reason, to me, it bothers me to the point where I, I'll almost sometimes try to digitally fix those things. And, and I know it's, it's ridiculously silly. I'm getting better about that. So I guess to go back to your question, what goes into producing a YouTube program? For me, it's way more than it should be, but it's getting better. Yeah, well, that, but that's what's funny about your show, I think, because like on the one hand, you could see like being like obsessed over doing a show like you should be if you're doing something about a James Cameron movie because it's just infectious, right? But then you're also doing a show about like um, 
these you know branded like uh toys that like were just like thrown together that like level of thought was probably not put into it in some ways so <laughs> yeah so 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 actually so so for you uh, just just so I, I i have a clear understanding well why are you doing a show about terminator 2 Oh, okay, just, yeah. That, just because if you're like, what, is there an origin story for you? That, like, that is a good question. Yeah. Uh, well, it started out, uh, it actually started out with, um, let me see if maybe, you know, I can even, I know this is an audio show, but I'm just going to reach it so I can show you one thing. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I, I had my childhood VHS tape. And so I, uh, you know, eventually, of course, I got it on DVD. And then, uh, then I got it on Blu-ray and one day I found it for like three bucks at a half price books. And I said, well, I don't think my younger brother has this, so I'm just going to pick it up for him. And then on my shelf for a while, I had not only the VHS and these, the DVD Blu-ray, but I had two of the same DVD. And I just thought it was kind of funny that I have multiple copies of this movie and my wife was giving me a hard time about it. So I thought that's kind of a funny concept. So I went and I bought the Laserdisc. I don't have a Laserdisc player, but I, I, I started collecting it on different formats. And then one day I was on eBay and I found this, which is the uh, Chinese release uh. on VHS. And uh, so I picked that up. I just, I thought it was funny, you know, yeah. I got it just in case, you know, then I got the German version and pretty soon I started collecting it on VHS in all these different languages. And this is all just and, to antagonize your wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, well, and to amuse my friends who, uh, you know, most uh, most of them are also Terminator 2 fans, but they also know mm -hmm. how obsessed I am with it. And so they just thought it was funny that I was, I had all these different versions of it. One day I thought, you know, I've got all these, a lot of them have different artwork and the titles are kind of interesting, how they're translated and stuff. Someday I'm going to make a YouTube video showing all my different Terminator 2 VHS tapes when I get to the point where I can't find any more from other countries. And just like any other, I, I have this problem when it comes to any kind of creative project, it just snowballs. And pretty soon I thought, That's well, right. I'm going to do a video on that. I've collected all this other weird stuff over the years that uh, I don't often see online that a lot of people don't seem to have seen. I'm, re I, I'm really interested in like the kind of early promotional stuff and production things and whatever. So I've collected a lot of stuff over the years. And I finally said, you know, if you, if you look up, like if you want to watch a, a, a YouTube series all about Star Wars, there are hundreds of them. But I don't know of any single Star Wars, I mean, any single YouTube channel that's just dedicated to the Terminator or Terminator 2. Yeah, I I found now there are one or two of them, but not to the extent that I wanted it to be, where it dives deep into everything. That's how but, all yeah, this got yeah, born. But, yeah, that, I mean, what I like about it is is it's also like um, the scope of it is um, appropriate. I mean, my relationship to Terminator Two, I should I should clarify, I love it. I think it's a great film. It's it's by no means my favorite film, and I think people, you know, I, I've done a couple of episodes where I'm like, no, I think I like this film a little better, you know. Um, you son of a bitch! I know, I know, I knew, you, I knew I was going to get that from you. <laughs> and, uh, but but it is it is just like a, a, like it's a common language. Like I I think that people who like aren't like uh, oh it's a really good movie that I enjoy are few and far between, and they tend to have some like different uh, views of films that I think are interesting. But you know, like it's just like a baseline for talking about film. It's like you know, is something better or worse than Terminator Two? What I like about your show is that, like, you have the right scope. There are two Terminator films. People tend to think that I really like the franchise and that I want to talk about, 
you know, hey, what did you think of uh, uh, Dark Dark Fate? I think that was one of them. I'm like, I I I might have seen it. Yeah, I guess I don't. I'm not sure what other what other films are you talking about. <laughs> so you do this show. How long does it usually take you to produce an episode? Uh, it kind of varies. Again, it, it's getting better as I uh, because I I, I I did almost no video editing before I started this show, mm. and so really? I've been kind of yeah. So I've been kind of having to learn it as I go, and so. Um, really with each episode, I end up learning something that, wow, this is way easier now. I wish I would have known this when I started and it's made the editing process a lot faster, but. That's interesting. It, you, you, you've done some great, you know, like, yeah. So you did the episode with the, uh, on Robert Winley and you, you had a great like blue screen sort of thing when you, I'm, I'm just, I'm very surprised that, that you hadn't had a lot of experience with um, video editing before. Cause you seem to. Oh, well, well, thank you. I, I think the only reason that some of it ends up looking like I know what I'm doing is because either if, if I can't get it to look good enough then I don't do it and the only a lot of this stuff the only reason that I get it to look as good as it does is because since I don't know what I'm doing instead of just setting it up and doing it like someone who would know what they're doing it takes me three or four days to get a 30 second shot right <laughs> the green screen stuff um some some different things I I had to film more than once because I, I've got it pretty much figured out now where I don't have to redo it but you really have to light a green screen the right way. Yeah. And I, I knew that I had to have it pretty even, but you know, sometimes in real life, before you start to film, you think, Oh yeah, this looks all really good and even. Then you put it into a, a program after you film a bunch of stuff and make a mess of yourself and go through all these things and it doesn't work. And you have to go and do all that stuff and make a mess of yourself again to film all that stuff. And uh, I, I think on, on average, I don't know. Uh, I'll spend, hopefully not more than like an eight hour day filming, maybe hopefully not more than a day of filming. And then editing depends on the episode. Sometimes a couple days, sometimes it's like a, a couple weeks because there are certain things that end up being more difficult than I expected them to be. Do you set deadlines for yourself to do an episode? Do you have a, like a schedule that uh, you tend to put them out on? No, I'd like to. I think it'd be really cool if at the end of each episode I could say, you know, tune in next week, which I've said a few different times on the show and it did yeah, not yeah. end up being next week. <laughs> yeah. But I, at the time I meant it, but whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. I, to me, uh, I, I would really like to, and hopefully someday I'll be able to get it streamlined enough and to get good enough at filming it and at editing it that it can be. But in the meantime, until then, uh, quality over quantity for me. Yeah, eventually I want to, I'd like to get it to where I think every week would be really difficult, but you know, if I could do every other week or something. Uh, yeah, you have, goal. you have like, you have like a lot of episodes in mind, I assume, like you have a lot of like, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, that's the only reason that I've <laughs> spent as much time and money as I have on this stupid new set. Because uh, I, I know that I'll be, but at the rate that I've been going, I'll probably be I'll have enough episodes to go like probably eight years or so. That's exciting. So, um, well, thank you. Good. I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you're enjoying them. Do you have, uh, do you have, I, do you have a, do you have a goal for the show? Like, is there like the goal for the show? One of the biggest goals I've already gotten, which is that it's, it is the, the single, uh, most fulfilling creative project that I've ever done because filming, performing to some extent editing uh all that kind of stuff it it's been 
insanely fulfilling from a creative mm. perspective. So I already achieved that goal with it. Um, past that, um, I mean, this might sound like I'm just trying to uh, warm the hearts of your listeners and try to endear them to listen to watch my show. But honestly, my biggest goal for the show is that it makes people happy and that people get entertainment value out of it and they enjoy it. You know, when I, when I, um, I believe the way that YouTube works and I say, I believe it works because I'm not even sure because I, I honestly don't really care, but I think the way it works is once you hit a thousand subscribers, you have the option to turn on monetization. Oh yeah. I think I've heard that. Yeah. And I don't even care about that. I, at some point I will turn on monetization, but not because I care about making a nickel from the show, but only because from what I understand, when you turn that on, that means YouTube says, oh, well, this guy wants to let us put ads on his show. So we want more people to see it. And then they, they recommend it to more people. Mm -hmm. So that's the only reason I would do that is just because then I would know I would have a better chance at more people being able to see the show and give me fun feedback on it because that's the, the, been the biggest reward out of it so far is whenever I put up a new episode, I'm sitting there just exciting, just waiting to see what people think of it and reading the comments and uh, responding to people and engaging with them. And that's, yeah. that's been the biggest reward out of it for me so far. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're talking my language here. It's so funny. Yeah. Again, this is, uh, I think this is going to be a shop talk episode here. You, you have a fun little mythos um, with the show. You have a camera operator uh, who's regularly on. Um, you actually, you always seem to get the same shot. Like uh, I, I thought for a little bit that you had just kind of gotten a lot of different reactions from the same actor from on the same shot. And you just kind of like worked into different episodes, but you're shooting him different, different times. Uh, yeah, the, so I wish I knew the guy's, no, no, that's okay. I wish I knew the guy's name. He's, he's some, I I think he's an intern or something that the studio hired. And Mm -hmm. to me, he's, I don't think he knows what he's doing a lot of the times, but, um, but he, uh, I mean, he seems to, he keeps the camera straight and he keeps it focused on me, which is really all that I care about, I guess. Mm -hmm. Talking about WKVS studios. Yeah, WKVS Studios out of Cedar Rapids. Okay, um, that's a nice that's, camera that they have. I guess if you say so, it, it looks like a... This studio has been around since like the 50s or 60s, and I don't think that they've upgraded anything since then. Mm-hmm. At least that's what it looks like to me. But I don't know, somehow it works. There you go. I wanted to talk about the nature of fandom. You do a lot of stuff on collecting merchandise. Does that bring you closer to the film? Uh, yeah, in some ways, I think... It depends on the merchandise because there, there are so many different types. And um, to me, it all, it, it kind of has a different value. Like, I, I guess I hadn't really like put this into to words before. So I'm trying to think of how to, how to explain whatever it is I'm rambling about. But like, for example, a lot of the stuff that I collect is from different countries and I've been surprised at how much I've learned about other cultures, at least in terms of the movie theater industry. So any, any of the stuff that I own from other countries has that kind of a value. It kind of not only does it, I don't know, it, it kind of makes me feel like I, I get a better understanding of, of how some countries handle the movie theater business. But one of the reasons that I, I started collecting all those VHS tapes that, that I forgot to mention before wasn't just because it was funny, but when you've got a, a row of like 30 different VHS tapes of one movie 
all with, you know, translated to different languages. It shows how massive that movie has been to, to be in that many languages and to have artwork made for that many different countries. It kind of shows the worldwide cultural appeal of that one film. And so, so there's that. And then when you're, when we're talking about like the, uh, the toys and stuff, it's either, you know, stuff that you played with when you were a kid. So it has that kind of nostalgic quality to it, or it's stuff that you wish you would have gotten as a kid. And somehow it just never showed up under the tree. And yeah, so, yeah. uh, so then it, it's, you kind of get to explore some of those things that you didn't quite get to explore as a kid. And, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess, let, let me see if I can ask this a different way. You know, I, I tend to think I can separate the, um, the, the, like the merchandise from the film. What's a lot of what your show is doing is going over like the experience of like there being this big, ridiculous film sequel in 1991 and what it was like to experience like that as like uh, as someone who like was a moviegoer and as someone who is a consumer. That's not really a question. That's a that's a, an observation. So, all right. So look, maybe we can circle back to that one. But so you talked a little bit about crediting artists for work they've done, but you've also like kind of created your own like artwork out of, out of this. And you have um, beyond just this, this YouTube show, you also have uh, a, a, uh, an online shop, uh, Tea Public Tea for Two shop. And you, you, you have uh, some great um, shirts there. Th- did you oh, design you. all those? Yeah. Or, I mean, I guess well, some of them I, some of them I completely designed or some, yeah, some were, you know, adapted, but yeah, they're all like the, uh, the, the Cryoco logo from the mm-hmm. Cryoco truck. You know, obviously I didn't design it, but I did fully digitally create that because I had seen that online before, but none of them were quite right. And I know that not everybody is as picky as I am, but I know a lot of Terminator fans are as picky as I am. And so I, I wanted to have a shirt that said that, but I couldn't find one that had the right logo. So I made right. it myself. But uh, a lot of, actually a lot of the shirts on that shop aren't viewable yet. There's more than double of what's on there that I just simply haven't uh, put on there yet because I, I haven't, uh, this is probably one of the first conversations I've had with anybody about that shop because I haven't mentioned it on the show yet except for just when I did the Connor 2020 thing. Yeah, I think um, that's how I stumbled upon it, yeah. Yeah. And other than that, I haven't mentioned it on there. Um, Really, the only reason I even launched the shop was so that I could buy a bunch of the shirts myself to wear on the show. Yeah. And eventually, I'm going to mention it on the show so that if other people want any of those shirts, they can get them. Again, it's not, you know, I don't care about the little bit that they kick back to me, but... um, there's but, one there's there's one design that i that really stuck out to me and that was uh, uh she's not my mother todd that was oh <laughs> you know i've, I've actually I, i'm surprised i've already sold several of those without ever telling anybody about it people are just finding it on the t public store and and buying it that's great um that one took but, me a second and i was like oh that's really good that's really good so uh, i'll put the link oh, in the show you. notes and everyone should actually everyone should absolutely go check it out sorry go ahead well thank you no no that's so I think part of the reason that I haven't mentioned on the show yet is just because I don't want to make it. I, I, the one thing that I never want people to think about this show is that I'm doing it to, to make any money. I don't mm-hmm. care if it never makes any money. I mean, so far it's cost me a lot of money that I don't think my wife is thrilled about, but, <laughs> but yeah. So, so someday when uh, eventually when the show gets more of, of a following that I think there might be enough people that are actually interested in them, then I'll start to mention them on the show. 
Hey, we're just going to take 30 seconds. We're going to be right back. Don't go anywhere. sound okay sounds very good so you were talking about uh you had something like 30 different editions of terminator 2 and that's um i want to jump into that you've uh watched all these different editions from all these different countries or not yet i have uh i have what i need to to watch all of them but i just haven't yet i haven't digitized all of them yet um i had to buy a few different VCRs and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I've been in the process of digitizing them, but yeah, so I, I, I've watched, I've seen a few of them as, as I've been digitizing them. Uh, obviously the French one I've watched since we did that yeah. episode French version, but uh, so no, most of them I haven't even seen yet. So my big uh, hope is that more of them are going to be uh, dubbed rather than subtitled because when they're dubbed, then there's something fun and interesting to, to kind of pick apart and analyze how the vocal performances are. When they're just subtitled, there's really not much there to talk about for the show. So, but yeah, I guess that'll I, make those episodes a little easier. So, <laughs> yeah, you talked about in the French one about uh, John Connor having a, a Furlong's voice being a lot deeper. And it's funny because it, it opens up this opportunity to think about Furlong's performance, which is something that has come up on, on, on this show a lot as well. And, and it is divisive. I think you made the observation that it, it, it makes more sense that it, like in the French version, he would have like a deeper, more masculine voice, but then, you know, because it's less like a film that's this like high octane, it's, uh, you know, weird that it's sort of centered around this very squeaky voiced kid, but then that's also sort of like goes to the heart of the film. That made a lot of sense to me the way you put it. Was there anything else in like foreign editions that like you, you picked up on? One of the things that, that I, I, I've started to pick up on and that I, I hope that there's going to be more of is the different ways that they translate certain things that uh, just can't be directly translated word for word. Like in that French one, we covered how the, the, some of the, the lines that John teaches uncle bob to to seem more human and not such a dork all the time uh right, he, right. Uh, you know when he teaches him uh you know hasta la vista and, and that kind of stuff they they had to change some of that stuff because it just didn't make sense in french i, I i'm hoping that I, i'm sure some of them are just going to be kind of a just a, a quick just direct translation where it might not have made a whole lot of sense to the audiences in those other countries but i'm sure there are going to be some like that french one where it's going to be some strange new interesting creative twist that they put on it i know for sure that the way that uh you know one of the most famous lines in cinema history hasta la vista baby is different in some of the movies like in the the spanish one instead of teaching arnold lingo in spanish because already speaking spanish there so him saying hasta la vista baby would be literally just be like john telling him goodbye baby you know <laughs> So instead, they had uh, John teaches the Terminator a line of Japanese, and he teaches him to say "Sayonara, baby," which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty badass. So, yeah, so I, that'll be fun to cover in that one. In the 
And then I believe in the Japanese version, he says something to the equivalent of see you in hell, baby. So yeah, those are the only ones I know so far. I'm sure as I did, because there's a, there's a bunch of them. So I'm sure as I digitize more of these and we review them on the show, I'm sure we'll see some more different versions of that. Cool. The other major versions, different versions of this film that uh, I think people would be familiar with or could imagine is, um, it's not the director's cut, but there's the Terminator 2 extended cut. I, uh, I rewatched that last night. It's, um, it's definitely, it's definitely the difference between like a, a, a cheetah and a bear. It's, it's a different film and it, you just kind of like live in the space a little longer. It's not how I would have wanted to have been introduced to the film. It's not how I was introduced to the film. What's your relationship to uh, the extended cut? Um, kind of like what you had just said to me, the best way to introduce someone to the film is the theatrical cut, because that's, that's, that, that was James Cameron's, uh, ultimate vision. That's, that's why it was cut that way. And, and, and to this day, that's, he, he said that he still stands by the decisions he made to remove some of those scenes. And, and he also stands by the idea of making them available so that people can watch that. So, which I think is really cool. He's not doing like a George Lucas thing. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That never happened. Pay no attention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, um, what, what are what are the what are the things that you let's start, let's let's do it this way. What are the things that like when you're watching that like is there any scenes that grind your gears? Uh, from the that, that were deleted from yeah extended cut yeah. I guess I'll say, of, of course. I mean, I I think the easiest one for a lot of people is the smile scene. Mm-hmm. where he teaches the Terminator to smile. It's just a, getting a little bit too silly. There, there's plenty of humor in the movie that is good, proper comedic relief that doesn't do it at the expense of the character integrity. Yeah. So, so that's why that's one that, while I enjoy seeing it, and, and I think it is kind of fun, that, that's the first one that I, I can definitely see why they cut that one out. And and it wasn't even so much that it was a little bit too funny, but uh, Cameron has said that it was also just tonally, it didn't flow well, because right after that is when John yeah, gets to talking to Terminator about uh, uh, humanity, you know, yeah, deep we're not going to make it. And yeah, yeah, they get into deep shit. And so, yeah, he said it tonally, it just didn't flow right. But And so funny so because it, it dovetails into like the climax of the film. Uh, like the, you can see why it was put in there. It's, it's such a funny film because like I, I, I realized uh, recently just how, why I don't have the exact uh, like numbers in front of me, but from when that film actually got greenlit to when it went into production, it was like a pretty speedy production. And so you can kind of feel that in some of these scenes, you know, like uh, the Dyson scene is the one that I always kind of like roll my eyes at the most just because it just feels like you know it makes sense that he would write it because he was introducing you know my we're learning about miles a little bit more we're learning about my we're meeting miles's wife who will be in a pivotal scene in a few minutes but the whole thing just has like uh, like when i was writing screenplays it was i never got past that where it's just like hey person who i've been married to for so long and i have multiple children with What's your, you know, what is it that you do for a living? You know, like, it's just, it's, it's tough. I think the actors, you know, do a great job with it. I, I just think that. Uh... Yeah. And, and I do, you know, it, it's neat because there's so many different ways to look at it. I agree with you that that scene's just not necessary, but, but it is, it is, it, there's a cool flow to it when it's reinserted into the film. And yeah, you know, Sarah is saying, you know, that she wants to know everything about Miles Dyson, what he looks like, where he lives, everything. 
and yeah. then they cut to that shot that you know then okay now we're meeting him and so it had a nice flow to it but then when it's out you don't meet miles dyson until sarah takes off from the desert and then you see this guy working at a computer and you're thinking okay is that is that him and then the yeah. next thing you know there's a red dot on the back of his head and you're like okay yeah that's definitely the guy that sarah wants to take out so that's yeah. dyson so it's it's a completely different way to introduce him and i think both are kind of neat but obviously the theatrical cut i think is superior i, I still i i do like the um i really like at the end the t1000 after he gets frozen and he comes back and everything the the like the malfunctioning of the um morphing or the malfunctioning of the of the camouflage i guess uh that that really seemed like an interesting um amping up of the drama and i do wonder why that was cut oh, yeah you know i know that uh I know that Cameron explained that on, on one of the audio commentaries, and I can't remember exactly what he said. I, I think it was partly just because he, I, I can't remember if he thought it was dragging a bit. And yeah, yeah. To tighten up the action. But. I can see why he did it. I, I, and it's just one of those deals where I'm just like, I know. I mean, I, I've never seen it like with everything but like that. Anyway, do you, when you watch the film, do you, do you go back and forth? Do you watch one over the other? Yeah, I, uh, when I first saw it, uh, was when the the ultimate edition DVD came out in 2000 or 01, and yeah. uh, I when Great I first menu. saw that, oh yeah, yeah, definitely, and and when I first saw it with those scenes intact, I didn't even know that those scenes existed before I had that DVD, mm -hmm. and and then uh, when I got that DVD and watched them like that, you know, I, I'd watched that movie hundreds of times, probably. Well, that's people always say that, but hundreds yeah, yeah. is a lot. Point is, I've watched it a lot, and to see this movie that you knew front to back with suddenly all these, not just one or two little bits, but some significantly different scenes added in with a significant amount of time to them, and yeah. it blew my mind. It, it was like magic, and so I watched it like that for years. I didn't watch the theatrical edition for years after that. Oh, that's interesting. I finally, you know, I don't know, five, ten years ago, I, I sometimes, I, I kind of switch back and forth now. Okay. But... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I had I I all I had was the extended edition on a DVD for a long time and so uh so it's actually like a relief for me now to just be able to like do theatrical. So here's the big thing I was going to ask you about was Terminator 2 3D Battle Across Time. This was a Universal Studios Hollywood uh or Universal Studios experience a ride at the theme parks in Hollywood and Florida. I saw some I I watched this on YouTube. Uh, have you did you ever like have this experience? Did you ever ride this thing? No, you know, it's funny I uh my wife you... and I took a trip to Florida. Mm -hmm. And uh I found out about I don't know, two weeks before our trip that they were going to be shutting it down the week after we were in Florida. So we were oh. in Florida the last week that it was showing and we, we could have gone, but it just didn't work out with what we were doing. And mm -hmm. are you, are you, are you an amusement park guy? Do you, do you like go to amusement parks or anything like that? I haven't much. Yeah. Uh, it's, it, it, you do watch this and you kind of like, it does feel like you're in the mind. I don't know, I'm in the mind of like a guy who like took a flight for four hours to check into a hotel to like, you know, pay, you know, 80 bucks per person to like go in through this experience to like see this like 20 minute, 30 minute experience. And it's like, uh, uh, it's a very funny 
experience. It opens with like like a, a brief like commercial for uh, it's not Skynet. It's for um, Cyberdyne. Uh, yeah. And and it's just sort of like the way of the future. And then Sarah Connor breaks in because she's like uh, you know like doing the like industrial espionage terrorist thing, and she's like the, the Cyberdyne is trying to take over our lives and. Furlong is there and he's this was made in like 96 so everyone's just yeah. a little older uh yeah. and um and then uh, you know I don't understand why Schwarzenegger shows up but he does and then he and Furlong get zapped into the future and they get to go through that cool like opening you know sequence uh and have a little adventure there and it's all done in like 20 minutes it's 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 uh, it's a roller coaster basically you know I I don't get into it near as much as some Terminator fans do. A lot of people mm-hmm. consider it the sequel to Terminator 2. And to me, it's it's just sort of a fun, what if kind of bonus thing. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't even know how that would work. Like, like there's not the, you said you were talking about the first one. Like, there's just not that much there, there. And, and being just a visceral experience, I, I think that it, of course, I haven't seen it in person in 3D. I'm sure that would add a lot to it. But yeah. and you know, with the, the the smoke in there, and I think they shake the, the seats and do different things. So yeah. I, I think it would be a really cool experience to see in person on YouTube. It's you know, but still, even with the physical experience of being there, to me, it's it's just sort of this fun little bonus thing. And I will say, I, I think that the the behind the scenes stuff is far more interesting than the show itself. And for any of your listeners who might be listening to this that are big fans of T23D and was maybe hoping that we would get into it more, <laughs> I will say yeah. that they should check out uh, a guy who's become a good friend of mine from the Netherlands. His name is Morris, and he is a huge T23D fanatic. He seems like he's almost more into it than he is into the films themselves. Okay. And, uh, he, he runs this fan website. It's called mm. Hope of the Future. Net. And then he's also, if you look up Hope of the Future on Facebook, but he, he posts a lot of neat behind the scenes stuff. But anyway, that's, that's getting a little bit off topic. But the, the point is, I, I find some of that stuff more interesting than the show itself. To me, the show is, uh, some, you know, it's, it's kind of cheesy, but again, it's a theme park ride. Like you said, it's a roller coaster, but maybe I'm just being overly picky. But one of the things that kills it for me, just right off the bat, like when you watch it on YouTube, the, the, uh, when the people are waiting in line and they're, they're playing that commercial for Cyberdyne. The very the first opening words are imagine butterflies that run on batteries. Who the hell wants that? Yeah. Why is that like you know? It's I don't know. Some of it, it just seemed too silly to me. Like, and why would anybody do that? What's the purpose of you know? It, it just it's it's funny because I've seen that Cameron has like a directing credit on this, and it's hard to understand like to what degree that could be or or like what that means in a, in a situation like this and yeah we did not see this as 3d experiences and clearly like 3d is something that he has subsequently become very passionate about but like you know i see you know just looking at the wikipedia page like uh, gary goddard who did like the um masters of the universe film uh and is uh from what i hear a monster but uh you know his his work yeah go- just google his name you'll see what i'm talking about but he did like what i saw looked a lot more like captain power which was a like saturday morning live action like uh excited you know like tv show that's what the action felt like the the lighting was very blue it, it had a nice like terminator 2 tint to it but you know there are all these like little 3d 
CGI monsters that just didn't look like, you know. Those little frisbee things. Those little frisbee things, yeah. And so it it, it was sort of like you were saying about George Lucas. It's like, oh, yeah, that's that's the vision, huh? If you had all the money in the world, that's that's what we were going to get. (laughs) Thank God for constraints. (laughs) So are you saying that Gary Goddard uh, had a role in T2-3D? Yeah, that's what I, that uh, from what I can see on on Wikipedia. Again, I, I I did not do as thorough a job researching this as uh, I, I'd have liked to. But the um. same here. I'm I'm definitely not an expert on T two three D. But my understanding, I at least I always thought maybe this is just what we we're supposed to think. But mm-hmm. I always thought that James Cameron was very heavily involved. From what I understand, he spent a lot of time. Yeah, um, I, I guess what I'm saying is I'm sure he did. And I don't think this is his best like work, you know. Oh yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, another thing I'll say too, uh, briefly on that, like what I was yeah. talking about. How to me, what's most interesting about T two three D isn't the show itself, but the making of. It's it's also, and this is something that eventually I'm going to get into on my show. So T two three D opened up in Florida, and then in Hollywood, and then in. 2001, I think it opened up in Japan, Universal Studios Japan, and where the the Hollywood one closed and then the Florida one closed. The one in Japan, at least up until the pandemic, has still been open to this day. Oh, really? Yeah. And so the the last I know, I don't think it's open yet. So maybe maybe they're going to call it quits because they had to close because of the pandemic. And I, I don't know, but I just know that Terminator 2 in general is a huge phenomenon in Japan. And that's why, you know, where we covered T2 in France on the show in one episode, we're not going to be able to do T2 in Japan in one episode on T for two, because Terminator 2 has been so huge in Japan over the last 30 years. There's so much stuff to cover, so much merchandise. and Ooh, Very exciting. So, it's yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I've bought, I've spent way too much money on all kinds of Terminator <laughs> Two stuff from Japan, but most of it, I, well, actually, pretty much all my Japanese stuff, I didn't buy for myself. I bought it since I decided to do a YouTube show. And yeah, yeah. God damn it, I've spent too much. What am I doing with my life? <laughs> anyway, they write it off on a tax thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah, I'm right there with you. I'll um, come up with something, but. So- uh, so, so, so yeah, we'll be, we'll be spreading those across multiple episodes, but because T2 is so big in Japan, T2 3D has also been huge in Japan and that's why it still runs today. And that's why the, the souvenir shops in Japan for T2 3D have produced so much stuff that wasn't produced in the States. And I've collected a lot of this stuff over the years and a lot of it is weird as hell. And yeah. I can't wait to show it on the show. There's a lot of just, just weird, odd, cutesy things and just things that like there, there's there's ear picks like for digging out your earwax that are Terminator themed and just just all kinds of, of stuff and I, I is it is it like liquid that. metal or I, I don't know oh <laughs> that's too bad it yeah, should yeah. be they should have chromed it yeah okay. so typically this is the part in the show where uh, I invite a guest to talk about their feelings about Terminator Two but this is all that's all we've been doing so so I'm gonna try and flip the script a little bit here is there you know people who don't like this do you know do you know what the case against this film is yeah i uh i do know the type of people who uh don't appreciate this film and i don't like them yeah they're a bunch of jerks uh i've i've gotten into a lot of physical altercations you see this scar right here i I can think of two Mm -hmm. types of people first ones are no good gutless bastards Mm -hmm. no uh so i work in a medical facility and one of the chaplains who i work with he had heard about my show and he was asking me about it he's a really cool guy and uh i was telling him about it and he said you know i should check that out i don't know if my wife would appreciate it just because she has a really 
she's never seen the Terminator movies because she has a really difficult time with movies that have any kind of violence in them. So there, there's one type of person, just someone who's just, just uncomfortable with that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's understandable. The only other one I can think of, the only other type of person is simply the type of person who wouldn't give it a chance, either because you know, they, they consider, they're, they're kind of like the, the film snob who hears the term action movie and just thinks, oh, Michael Bay's Transformers, which Terminator 2 is obviously much, much more than that. But I can see, based on the poster, the name Terminator 2, I mean, if you didn't know any better, if I didn't know any better, I would, I probably would be hesitant to even give it a chance because I'm not into action movies that are just action movies for the sake of action. Um, Casey. Thanks again for taking the time. Tea for Two is a great show. People should check it out. Uh, and they should check out your tea public shop. And so here's the other thing. What I like about your show is um, you have some hesitancy with your sign off because you're not going for the obvious joke. I always go for the obvious joke. Uh, how, how are you doing with that? Have you, are, are you thinking about it? Are you landing on something? <laughs> no, it's, it's been a struggle. Uh, <laughs> is it a struggle for you because there's some obvious joke and you just don't want to do the obvious thing or like you think you're better than me is that well no no it's uh <laughs> i really I, I i really i don't know i don't even know how to explain that stupid sign-off thing i think the the sign-off this the struggle on the show with the sign-off thing has become too funny for me I enjoy it too much that I, I may never come up with a sign-off just so that I can keep on struggling with it. I don't know. I don't, I'm not really, I honestly don't know where that's going to go. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of, in the last, uh, I think it was the last one where I said, hasta la vista, babies, plural. <laughs> it's stupid, but for some, I think that's why I, I like that one. I don't know. So It's an awkward thing to know how to end these things, but, uh, you know, hasta la vista, baby. Hasta um, la vista, baby. Casey, thanks for, thanks for everything.